Welcome back to another episode of When the Music Stops. Today I am joined by Tim Swanson. Tim Swanson has been in the space for a decade. He has worked on a ton of blockchain-related matters, distributed ledger technology, and all of the wonderful tech behind Bitcoin and Ethereum. In this conversation, uh, I tried to figure out and understand where there is value in blockchains and cryptocurrency outside of the cryptocurrencies and the unregulated securities. I am not sure, and I'm not going to make the claim that you're going to find those answers in this podcast, but I think the conversation is very much revealing. So uh, if, if you or someone you know has been talking a lot about the tech behind Bitcoin, well, this might be a pretty great place to start to figure that out. Suffice it to say, I am still a skeptic. I don't think there's a lot there, but I will let you, the listener, decide for yourselves. Also, please follow me on Twitter. That's at Milner underscore Aviv. Enjoy. Tim, thank you for joining me today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, Tim, you're the head of market intel at Clearmatics. You are the creator of the Tau Protocol. You're a founder at Post Oak Labs, an advisor to Blockseer, um, and you used to work at R3. As well, you've been in the space for what looks like almost 10 years at this point, and you've written a few books even as early as 2014. Before we kind of jump into your insight in terms of where the space is going, I wanted to touch on something topical. Recently, Coinbase announced on Twitter that they tried to reach out to the SEC about a product line that they wanted to promote, and the SEC kind of gave them a cold shoulder. Do you want to kind of clue us in into what's happening there and your take? It looks like Claimbase received a Wells notice. In the US, the SEC is, I believe, the only agency that has something called a Wells notice, um, which basically says, hey, we're going to sue you. But before we sue you, we want you to tell us why we shouldn't sue you. Um, and so apparently Coinbase did that privately um, and it didn't turn out the way they wanted to. And specifically it was around, at least in this case, it was around, uh, according to Coinbase, it was around a lending product, uh, specifically this uh, something they announced a number of months ago in which deposit holders at Coinbase could effectively put their USDC into a lending product in which they received about 4% back per annum. The CEO of Coinbase last night had a little tweet storm, what fifteen tweets or so, and then the the chief or the yeah, the chief legal officer uh, put out a blog post, a uh, short read, um, in which they both said, "Hey, we're about to be sued for reasons unknown to us. How how is this lending product a security? Why does the SEC want to come after us, et cetera, et cetera?" Uh, so basically, they they're trying to get the court of public opinion on their side before there is a lawsuit. Uh, now, that doesn't necessarily mean they will be sued. It was uh, uh, according to Brian and to the the, the, the blog post, uh, the SEC said, basically said, if you if you launch this product, we'll see you. Now, I, I don't know if there's a uh, any other circumstances. I'm just taking you know taking their their comments at face value. So that's their side. Um, it, and there's plenty of plenty of uh, supportive tweets and uh, comments from 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 the coin world. Uh, and then on the other side, if you actually talk to like securities lawyers or law professors, I, I haven't seen one that actually agreed. That's not true. I, I've seen quote unquote crypto lawyers, lawyers that are involved uh, heavily with cryptocurrency companies, side to some extent with with Coinbase. Um, but most, I would say, most academic or uh, lawyers outside of that industry say, hey, no, these things are clearly securities. It's your fault for not knowing it. You actually have a general counsel who previously worked at the SEC, so you guys aren't idiots. I mean, we could argue about the merits one way or the other. I, I suppose on, on the one hand, it would be nice to know why uh, a regulator like the SEC hasn't prosecuted. Assuming these things are securities, assuming they're right. I'm, again, I'm not you know, sitting here pretending to be a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer, not a regulator, or anything like that. It would be good to know why they haven't prosecuted you know, the dozens or hundreds of lending protocols that are being pitched um, in the DeFi world that offer, you know, 10, 20, you know, a thousand percent yield. Like if we, if we talk about the definition of lending, um, you know, is, is, is even, or the definitions of securities in the DeFi context is staking um, and receiving revenue from, for example, people moving in and out of their LP positions on a farm or staking for proof of stake itself uh, in being remunerated, either some type of annual mission or uh, kind of the revenue, transaction revenue. Um, where where are those? And there are plenty of lawyers who've opined on it. I'm just saying these are the types of questions that that people um, are have been debating for years, ever since the idea of 
like ETH2, for example, um, it's definitely like is is the transfer of, of depositing your original ETH into the beacon chain um, and then being being given ETH2 on the other side at some stage. Is that, does that constitute some kind of security? But um, if you've been following me on Twitter, I've been kind of casually poking fun of the, the view that just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean you should be allowed to do it too, or at least you think you can get away with it. Um, so like, uh, especially if you're a listed company in the US, so you're, you're held to a higher standard. If you're a small little company with a couple people, you know, if being sued or, or, or being taken to court by these types of regulatory agencies, it means they either want to make a big example of you or, you know, you, I guess you could say it would be unjust because you, you don't have the resources to fight it. But in the case of, uh, case of Coinbase, you know, they should know better, assuming that they're, the SEC is right. I think this story reveals two things. The first thing is that the SEC is really not doing its job. So, you know, Gary Gensler could come out and just say, listen, anyone out there who's like doing these like lending uh, DeFi protocols, whatever it is, um, if you're if there is a company there, if you're raising money, whatever, you are engaged in the product of providing securities and, and those securities are not regulated. So you have people like BlockFi. It's unclear if they're, you know, following the securities regulation. Um, they had a cease and desist in like, I believe, five states now. Um, but the SEC, you know, only telling Coinbase in private, I, I do have a little bit of empathy for Coinbase because again, they, they're trying to understand why everyone is engaging in what looks like illegal behavior and no one's getting called out for it. So when they come out and say, we're going to do exactly what everyone else is doing, uh, and then the SEC comes down hard on them and, you know, kind of in, in private seems very unclear. Another thing that's, that's clear in the, in, in the story is that crypto is just evading the laws here. Everything in crypto right now is lending products. Lending is DeFi right now. Getting interest rates, that's everywhere. I, I don't know who isn't at this point in some way getting farm or staking or yield or returns or whatever. That's everywhere. The fact that when Coinbase offers, you know, a regulated example of this, the SEC just comes down hard. That just kind of reveals to me that the space is just littered with, with uh, you know, uh, securities violations. You know, the fact that you said that lawyers outside of crypto just unanimously agree with the SEC in this case, where a lending product is a security and that only lawyers that are making money in crypto are kind of standing by suggests there's a bit of um, there's a bit of a monetary skew there where lawyers are pretty much doing whatever they can to make money when when they're in crypto. I mean, going on Twitter to get the public sympathy that that to me is is uh, I do blame Gary Gensler for this because you know Coinbase is is trying to understand, but at the same time this is just kind of ridiculous. Um, what, what's happening in the space. Do you see regulations coming down hard and like a lot of uh, these products kind of running off and, and finding out that they can't produce or continue building what they're working on? Um, I think it really comes down to resources and uh, bandwidth. Remember, uh, CoinWorld, despite all the outright blatant fraudulent scams, etc., um, there's only so much that a, a single regulator like the SEC or CFTC or FinCEN um, has the bandwidth and resources to tackle. Um, and so the, the short answer is um, it really just depends on what their allocation for, for headcount on terms of prosecutors and it, the intake of all these documents that they'll be subpoenaing. I would suppose uh, that there could be some open and, cl- open and closed cases, uh, open and shut cases uh, on any of the fraudulent purposeful rugging or uh, insider um, exploitation uh, exploits. The industry itself is in a horrible job at self-policing. There is no SRO. So for everyone, everyone that complains about federal regulators or state regulators or whatever body it may be, I mean, maybe they're wrong. That, that's very possible. But the industry itself is not policing, doing anything. Uh, if, if you just look at all the, the coins that have come and gone that were scams like BitConnect, you know, the exchanges all accrued value from the trading fees, but they didn't distribute that back to the victims who got screwed. Um, and the only people who actually were brought to justice were done so by um, these external legal entities, AKA the government. So for all the talk by anarchists and libertarians, they're creating this free market, which purges, you know, bad actors. It's just the opposite that happens. The bad actors know that they could get away with it. So they, you know, they put faces on, they use pseudonyms, but I think there are some good people out there um, trying to genuinely do some decent stuff. It's just unfortunate that the the majority, I I couldn't give you percent, but a a majority of activity um, probably is, is done by near dwellers or, or psychophants or some, some, some type of bad actor. 
Yeah, and, and there's a lot to be said there. I mean, a self-regulatory organization is kind of ironic for a space that is really making a lot of money and profit off of regulatory arbitrage, pretty much skirting the laws, allowing people to do things that uh, the mainstream banks can't offer because they violate some rules or because they require KYC and AML or because they don't allow money transfer over certain uh, gray markets or black markets, you know, it's very predictable that we're here and we're just looking at like an entire DeFi space that, you know, uh, it, it's unclear what of what part of this could survive regulatory scrutiny. And so now I kind of wanted to pivot a little bit um, away from just, you know, Coinbase and and uh, talk about your work and, and your perspective. So you, you have many things under your belt right now. Would you say that the the job you have as head of market intellect Clearmatics, is that kind of the majority of what you do uh, t today, or is that you know part of uh, many different projects that you're sort of working on simultaneously? Yeah, no, that's my full-time job. I actually, just full disclosure, last three, four weeks, I've spent an enormous amount of time using Solana and apps on Solana, so I have a better idea of what they're about. Uh, I was aware of them for a number of years, but you know, since they've become kind of the talk of the town and uh, seeing all the, uh, the, the liquid staking uh, protocols or projects on it, um, it's something that Internally, our company really was uh, was wanting to know more about. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, the Intel part comes from me trying to you know, learn and become uh, familiar enough to where I could give presentations or uh, you know educated uh, educate the other decision makers within the company. Yeah, so I mean, this is where I'm trying to kind of keep grounded. We we had a, a lecture from University of California Berkeley, Nick Weaver, come on. You know, he he was talking about how this whole blockchain space. He's incredibly skeptical of any of, of the use cases that, you know, he, he sort of reverts to the fact that blockchains are really just sort of regulatory arbitrage, undermining governments, you know, money laundering, tax evasion, unregulated securities. Now, I, I'm trying to understand, like, I'm on Clearmatics, I'm on the website. I, I wanted for the for the listeners to get a sense of what Clearmatics is doing. Your mission statement here on, on the website is, uh, you, know, our, you know, our technology is a peer-to-peer -peer network platform and protocol first. Protocol suite software that implements those protocols and provide client software and infrastructure for peer-to-peer -peer network. It's based on Ethereum, and we call it Autonomy, the protocol. So talk about that. I mean, peer-to-peer -peer networks and decentralized markets. Is that the main uh, mission of Clearmatics? More or less, yeah. We'll, we'll have some updates to that in a couple months. But if we go back to 2015, uh, when we were founded, um, the idea of central bank digital currency that term didn't exist. Uh, the founder, uh, Robert Sams, was part of those initial conversations. I helped uh, write some of that up uh, with uh, JP Conning, who coined the term FedCoin. I may have heard that FedCoin is a, would be a retail CBDC. Uh, doesn't exist. These are just all models. Um, and so in, in, in September 2015, uh, Clearmatics created the first consortia around what would become um, tokenized uh, reserve assets at a central bank. Um, we ended up with about 15 banks participating in that over three plus years, four years. Um, and then that was spun out to be its own company called Finality, which still exists. And they're still working closely with uh, central banks. So basically um, right now, you and I is, is outside uh, non-banking entities as retail users, we, we don't have the privilege of having access to central bank reserves, which are the, the least risky assets uh, in terms of money, as it were, uh, apart from having like physical notes or something like that. Uh, but commercial banks do. So commercial banks have this privilege in which they are able to deposit funds within a central bank, more or less. There's, there's more technical words we could use, but uh, the bottom line is that they intermediate themselves between um, are us as individual retail users and the central banks. And there's lots of different reasons why there's some politics, there's some uh, logistics, there's some technical reasons. Um, and so the idea here uh, back in 2014, 2015 was how can we um, kind of uh, allow, open the, uh, the RTGS. So the central banks run, um, there's dozens of these, uh, <laughs> sorry, in each country about uh, 70 plus countries, there's these things called the real-time growth settlement system, RTGS. And you, you and I don't see this, uh, you know, the nitty gritty, it's all in the background. It's it's what the payment systems is in a, in a certain country. So in the US, the Federal Reserve, uh, specifically the one in New York, runs the payment systems, uh, RTGS, so it's called Fedwire. Um, there's, other, there's other financial infrastructure that does something similar um, run by other entities in, in different countries, but there's about 70 of these globally. And they, every other year, a new one comes online. Um, and the, the only participants who have access to it, though, are, again, is, are some type of bank. Um, and so several central banks, including the Bank of England, have proposed um, saying, look, let's open 
the RTGS to non-bank. So non, uh, in, in February, March timeframe, this past year, or this 2021, the Bank of England said, hey, we're going to open up the RTGS for, for non-banks. And as a result, there was a bunch of fintechs, a bunch of other companies that applied, a bunch of corporates, supposedly. I don't know how or when that approval process will take place. But um, what Clearmatic set out to do in 2015 was, how can we work with industry participants that already have access to the central bank, uh, and specifically the reserves, and effectively allow that reserve to be tokenized and used between those participants? So and the whole conversation about stable coins is, is part and parcel to the you know, the, the DNA and blood of the company, because um, we've been thinking about these types of things for a while. And so the term like stablecoin for us is, I, I'm not saying we roll our eyes, but the way most industry participants, especially in DeFi, use it is, it's not really, not really appropriate. The only stablecoin out there really is a is something from a central bank. Otherwise, you're you're dependent on the commercial bank, which is which basically sits on top of the central bank, right? It, 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 in, in the in the slow the, in the lowest terms. So, as a company, we've been trying to build out infrastructure for financial institutions um, to use to reuse some of the 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 bits and bobs that uh, the Ethereum world kept uh, kept going. Um, now, to be clear, we're not Ethereum maximalists. Uh, we're not dependent on Ethereum. It's just the the chain that uh, that we've created. Autonomy um, is at the time, you know, 2015, 2016, it was the only game in town. Um, today, you know, there's there's other types of infrastructure. In fact, that's why I'm looking into Solana to see to see what kind of utility it has. So um, I'll pause there and see if I answered uh, some of your questions. I mean, so let, let's just talk about that utility. I'm trying to understand how blockchain like solves any of these problems. I mean, let's just start with for the audience, I guess, from where you work, your industry, your perspective, what is a blockchain fundamentally? Because this is what you work in is you work in the blockchain space. So what is a blockchain? Without getting super technical, you, a blockchain is, is literally just a, a chain of of information that's been cryptographically signed and uh, distributed to parties that are uh, outside of their own uh, walls, as it were. So, if you're if if you're looking back at the enterprise blockchain world of 2014, 2015, 2016, you had a lot of companies say, "Hey, we built our own blockchain, or we built a blockchain." But typically, what they ended up doing is they built you know a database because it's centralized with one node or something like that. So, I think that. If we're going to define what a blockchain is or isn't, we should uh, at least take a note from or take a take a cue from you know the Bitcoin world or Ethereum world in which you had uh, multiple participants running um, independently of each other, validating nodes or validating infrastructure uh, outside of, of their own four walls to where they're not being influenced by those other parties. Um, so that's that's the the uh, immediate goal from a technical level is. You're working with, say, 15 banks. Uh, these are the large, some of the largest banks in the world. Um, they compete in many ways. They cooperate in others. Um, what would it be? What can they do if they were able to reduce and and or add some utility to their current lineup of financial products? Um, and the short answer is they can't do anything unless they have cash on ledger, as as the term is. And the only way uh, at the time they would agree to a cash on ledger isn't, uh, so HSB, uh, so uh, UBS was a founding member. Uh, UBS wouldn't, uh, for whatever reason, political or legal reasons, weren't being seen as the as entity allowed to make UBS coin in which all the other 15, 14 banks had to use. Uh, so they're like, well, who else can we, what other money can we use out there besides this commercial bank money, as it were? And, uh, and again, there's other reasons too to not use commercial bank money, such as something I've talked about, the, the principles for my financial market infrastructure set of guidance that says, let's try to use central bank money as much as possible. So the, the goal was to use a, a neutral party in this case um, that everyone was already relying on, which is central bank. Um, and so the idea here is if, if you have all these different use cases that banks had in 2014, 2015 onwards to today still of saying, hey, we could cooperate and uh, build financial products uh, that we all could leverage, uh, we still need money to do that with. And again, they could have done the, the easy way out, uh, which is to, to tokenize cash at their own bank, but that's not, um, there's no... Uh, they're still dealing with the credit risks of the commercial banks themselves. So why not, why not use a central bank? So it's taken a long time. The, the long and the short of it is, though, um, it's taken a lot of time for central banks to approve this type of uh, utility. So as much as you and I and your listeners would want to know, you know, why, 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 why are 
why are banks wanting to use blockchains? Well, they, they, they build out products all the time. They end up building out tons of infrastructure you never hear of, uh, for better and for worse. Um, so the question is, is if, they're, if they're already building out shared systems, why not build out a shared system which, which <clears throat> not a single party operates? So there is, a, there is some, store, there is some uh, narrative that actually resonates. It's consistent over the last six, seven years. Um, it's just taken a, a lot longer because in order to, to really fulfill the, uh, the, the full life cycle of the instruments, you need something that could settle cash on ledger. You need something that set a settlement asset. And the only settlement asset out there that everyone agrees on that doesn't have, that has the lowest credit risk would be something like a central bank digital currency. Tim, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of a little bit confused here. Like, I mean, so when you look at like Bitcoin, blockchain, Ethereum, blockchain, the reason why they're, the distributed system is built with that kind of consensus, which is incredibly inefficient, it's incredibly expensive. Everything that's on Bitcoin and Ethereum costs so much money to do and it, it, it's getting less and less efficient as the strain gets higher the only advantage that is obvious is that a regulator cannot just show up and shut those things down a regulator cannot stop someone from posting a contract or sending money or doing whatever they want i don't see how like central banks and regulated entities would need a database that's resilient against themselves like this is what to me is so is so confusing like what like where is the utility coming from that a regulated entity would want to use a, a, a blockchain. I mean, a blockchain, like like you know, when Satoshi or when Vitalik were like making these the, the, these tools, really the idea is that no one could change it. Of course, Vitalik decided to uh, to, to to change his blockchain as soon as it became financially uh, beneficial for him in in the event of the DAO hack, for example. But like in theory, you know, blockchains shouldn't change, and no one really has control. Um, you know, it just seems antithetical to what governments are, are building and working on. So I mean, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to get a, a sense of exactly where, where that use case is and, and why a government would, would want to participate in this. So first of all, proof of work, as you point out, is right, rightly point out, uh, as used in Bitcoin and as Ethereum uh, 1.0, as it is right now, is, uh, is purposely inefficient in order as part of a security model, right? Um, we could go on and on about why proof of work uh, and how it works for, from a civil attack perspective or how it makes that costly. It, uh, Clearmatics have been using a model, uh, a mechanism called Tendermint for a number of years. It's, if you've ever heard of Cosmos, that's what we're using. So to answer your first question, yes, you're right. There's no purpose of having proof of work. We know that I've written about that extensively since 2015. So I'm, I'm definitely in that camp of agreement with you. Um, that's why there, there is no proof of work in it. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so they're using a proof of stake mechanism called Tendermint. Uh, another question of why why would financial institutions uh, be working on this in the first place? Um, well, number one, they're not idiots. Maybe maybe someone is an idiot somewhere for, for whatever reason, but they're not collectively idiots on trying to find ways to collaborate. Because again, uh, from a post-trade processing, uh, settlement, clearing, that type of infrastructure that they collectively as, a, as financial institutions spend you know, 10, 20, 30 plus billions of dollars. There's been plenty of estimates uh, over the last number of years that, that dive into that in the US or the EU or UK, wherever your listeners may be. Um, that infrastructure is, um, I'm not saying it needs to disappear, but you can provide some of the similar utility, some of the settlement conditions, at least from a technical standpoint, um, using a shared network. So the idea of having a shared ledger predates, uh, industry-wide shared ledger predates uh, even Bitcoin itself um, pre-2008. That's right. I mean, like for starters, if you want a distributed consensus where you have trusted parties that are participating, there are already m mechanisms that that allow that. Paxos is just a, is is a is a pretty good like distributed consensus system that works to like a you know finality in a short amount of time. So I, I mean, again, I'm just confused about like you know it it, it, it comes off like because I, I had Nick Weaver on. He's talking about how uh you know blockchains are just really inefficient databases. So. Um, you know, you, you're saying like you're, you're looking at proof of stake. Proof of stake is also like super inefficient and has all sorts of attack vectors uh, in, involved. I mean, um, you know, Ethereum has been uh, touting and essentially promoting the network as about to be on proof of stake uh, in just a year since like 2014, 2015. They're six years late on a promise, uh, and 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 it's unclear if they're going to make it work. And then again, it's unclear if it's even resilient, right? We don't we don't have proof that these things actually work. You know, Bitcoin could collapse tomorrow, but but uh, proof of stake is incredibly questionable uh, um, as, as a successful uh, solution. So just like again, um, like I'm I'm just trying to understand. So 
what, what you're, you're going to like large institutions and you're telling them to build a private blockchain based on the Ethereum protocol. Does that mean it's like solidity? Like, is that what you're using uh, in terms of the, the, the language there for, for like handling transactions and stuff between these like uh, trusted entities? So yeah, you brought up about three different things. So if I could try to answer answer some some of those things. So uh, I, on our previous call with you, we talked about why <clears throat> one of the downfalls of projects in R3 was, uh, and I'm using R3 as an example because they were like the the poster child of the enterprise private blockchain world. They're still around, but that was you know in 2015, 2016, 2017 era. Um, one of the fundamental problems came back to not so much technology, but how the business operated. So let's say you built something that's sufficiently decentralized to where no potential actor had the ability to um, sway the the network to go one way or the other, to mute the, to the network one way or the other. It, maybe they could, but let's just, let's just say that for sake of argument that that's possible. Um, how you how you sustainably uh, maintain that network um, and uh, incentivize users to use it and so forth is another question. It's almost always a business question. And what ended up happening uh, for, for the most part is you ended up recreating the, the clearinghouse model to where you ended up creating a special purpose vehicle, SPV, or some type of independent entity that acted as kind of like the fulcrum, uh, the center of, of, of coordination between these parties. And that really defeated the whole purpose of having a blockchain for all the reasons you, you rightly you disclose the dimension. Um, so the question then is, how can you build a, a uh, use tech that ultimately does not allow one participant to to co-opt? Because when you said, oh, uh, and, and I agree with what Nicholas says for the most part, um, that uh, you end up with a very expensive database. That's not quite true, but you do. Uh, if you if everyone just relies on databases, we end up with massive. Uh, central, uh, single points of failure, single points of trust and abuse uh, in terms of surveillance. So like I, I, I mentioned on a previous call, it, it would be great if everyone just used the same exact bank, then we wouldn't have to worry about wire transfers. We wouldn't have to worry about um, arbitrage, <laughs> the long wait times between uh, movement between stuff. But we, we don't live in a world in which you have one bank account for a variety of reasons, but part, part of it is because um, uh, of, uh, of abuse, of, of abusing that, that right to it. So, so uh, Sorry, we, Tim, uh, like when you say we worry about like wire transfers, I mean, I'm I'm kind of confused. Like wire transfers work fine. Like what's the, what's the problem there? I mean, the reason why wire transfers cost money and take time is again mostly because you know you're you're going across, for example, uh, like uh, like the borders, for example. So there's KYC, AML, there's regulations, there's uh, there's a fr fraud check to make sure that the pe people sending the wire are other correct people. You know, if you could do instant wire transfers of huge sums of money, there's an issue that someone could hack into a bank account, get some credentials, and then run off with $100,000. And so for that reason, you have like these special protective measures in place. I'm, I'm confused here again. Like, is blockchain supposed to solve wire transfers? Like, w w what's going on here? No, I violently agree with everything you just said. Violently agree. I, everything you said is true, but that's not what I... <laughs> that's, that must have been uh, some confusion because what I said is... The, the problem with, uh, I would say, Nicholas's uh, specific point, and he's not the only person saying it, all the, all the Bitcoin maximalists said the same thing six years ago, is if we all use the same database, if we all use the same bank, then you'd have a single point of failure. That bank could abuse their right to do that. So we don't live in a world, it would be illegal for banks to all merge together. City has had uh, enormous amounts of problem because of all the banks that they acquired, you know, post 2007, 2008 with the um, financial crisis. Um, that, this is one of the large commercial banks. We've had massive consolidation and it's bad. We don't want to have um, concentration risk like we do today. Post great financial crisis, we have more system, systemically, uh, sorry, the CIFIs, the systemically important financial institutions are actually more concentrated. So if they actually blow up, it's actually worse for society. So the idea here is, is again, if we know that that's bad, and that's what regulators don't want, that's why uh, you know the Financial Superiority Board, the BIS, all these international organizations that, that oversee this, they don't want more concentrated risk. And that's what happens. I mean, again, you have the efficiency trade-off, right? If everyone uses the same bank account, it's it, it gets rid of all of all, all these frictions that we we uh, everyone is always complaining about in finance. Uh, but it, it leads to a, a world in which you end up with um, a, a single point of 
uh, of trust of who, who runs that database. So bottom line is we're not going to ever have a, a, a single world bank, as it were, in which everyone um, moves money and move m- m- money out. And that's not the problem that I'm trying to solve, the company I work for is trying to solve, even R3, my previous employer is trying to solve. It, the, remember, they have certain banks that they're working with that want to solve specific issues and they had specific sets of uses in, in order to, to fulfill those uses. Since they're not going to rearrange the entire, entire financial order, let's start with something that they can work with, which was a central bank saying, hey, central banks, you're already looking at central bank digital currencies. We're already, work, we're already part of your network. We're operators on your network. What if we each ran a node and you were able to validate this? Stuff? So remember, these are baby steps back in 2015, uh, 2016. And no central bank, uh, wholesale central bank uh, digital currency exists today. You have some retail ones at the, in like the Bahamas or Cambodia, some, some smaller countries. But the, the larger ones, uh, like Bank of England, who's probably been the most loudest uh, in terms of active research, um, they, they're not you know, issuing even, like I said, they're, they've not approved a single license or application for uh, access to, to the RTGS, let alone allowing something like a, central, like a CBDC to exist or, or, or tokenized reserves from the central bank. So again, all, all the use cases that you saw um, 2015, 2016 propose, they can't really be fulfilled unless there's cash on ledger. So that was the that's that was the first thing that needed to be knocked down, and it's taken you know five plus years uh, to get to that spot. Yeah, I mean, like let's talk about you know concentration risk. So I don't know if there is concentration risk, you know, in today's banks. Like there are tons of banks, like thousands of of, of private banks. Um, you know, they there there isn't this like gigantic uh, monopoly of collusion with banks. So uh, they're distributed. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm again, I'm trying to understand. Like, are we are we? You know, it almost seems like we're 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 looking for a uh, a problem for which blockchain is the solution and that's what i'm trying to get at here is like what what is what is specifically being solved and 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 why is it related to blockchain why isn't it just you know uh, a git repo which by the way has all of the cryptographic elements of like verifying you know what what happened uh, in the past and all the changes that were made and who made the changes um public key, key encryption already allows like most of these things um you know you already have uh, systems like paxos that allow for trusted entities between each other to uh you know push um, and validate each other's uh, um, uh, state changes. I'm just trying to understand like what is going on here because um, I mean you work for all these companies like you've worked for R3 like you 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 work for Clearmatics. Um, you know uh, Post Oaks is a uh, labs another uh, you know a place that you work which is trying to help like enterprises like Elm Labs and again it says, says here R3. Where where is the utility of of like blockchain like and 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 just like walk me through that in simple terms here. Sure. Yeah. I, and I, I actually very much disagree with your point about there's tens of thousands of banks. Like uh, there are a bunch of small retail banks. You're right. A lot of credit unions. But if you do the market share of, say, the largest five banks in the U.S., they are it, there's there's literally a term called systemically important financial institutions. They're heavily monitored by um, like the Federal Reserve or, or, or their, their, the GSIB equivalents in, in Europe. GSIB is a globally systemically important banks and institutions actually is broader with uh, insurance companies. So the concentration risk has actually grown over the past 10 years. And what that means is the, the, allowed, uh, the AUM, the deposits has grown um, and their market share has increased at the expense of smaller ones. So yes, even though there may be small banks around, uh, what would end up happening if say JP Morgan collapsed or Bank of America collapsed, like was possible 10 years, you know, 12 years ago during the financial crisis is it would, it would be utterly catastrophic. And those are just the, on the banking side. You have these other things called financial market utilities. Uh, these things called central security suppositories. Um, you have these uh, entities called CCPs, uh, which are these clearing houses. Um, and the problem is, is there, there, there's such few players participating that are counterparties. If one blew up, it would actually take down, take it down all this. So there's been uh, a number of articles on the, the problems post Dodd-Frank um, in which say, for example, derivatives, um, we clear them now, we have a better optics into how derivatives are cleared, the regulators do, but the way they do that is by routing them through existing, a small set of existing um, uh, counterparties, so these, these clearinghouses. So if a clearinghouse blew up, it would, it would actually literally utterly devastate. It would be worse than an atomic bomb because you would, or a nuclear weapon, because uh, you, you just, Finance, finance would just stop, come to a halt. So that's why they've spent great lengths. That's why every six months, 12 months, uh, the Fed uh, does these uh, different type of crises uh, uh, tests. Um, we have the same thing in, in Europe. 
Um, most countries do the same kind of stress testing. They publish some of it. They, they typically leave the names of the banks that failed it off or the ones that did weak. So they've, uh, for example, the uh, types of, of, of capital, um, we have these different tiers of capital that banks are required to hold. Um, and they, uh, they've changed over the years and the amount that they're, they're, they're required to, to have on the, uh, to, uh, <clears throat> to store in that, that capital uh, reduces their ability, to be, uh, reduces their profitability because they can no longer trade. So again, uh, when, when you're saying um, they, everything's hunky-dory, it's not, it's actually pretty bad from a systemic standpoint. Does blockchain solve it? Not necessarily, because again, if you don't uh, have an alignment between the technology and the business, you end up in a, in a, in a world of uh, that's, that's both worse. You have a, a single point of failure, a single point of trust with a single vendor. And that's typically what happened with most enterprise uh, blockchain projects is you, you end up becoming reliant on just one. And then you didn't you don't have any of the benefits of the technology because you have a, a particular participant who could influence that. Or as you said, they could roll it back or something like that. So um, I, um, I'm happy to go on from that if you'd like. But um, yeah, I, 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 I don't agree on the, the financial institutions not being... Um, uh, uh, highly concentrated because that like literally like the market share is like 80 plus 90 percent uh, or, or, or so in the U.S. is is just like four banks. Yeah, I mean, well, that's not a monopoly. That's that's multiple competing you know parties, and of course, there's like there's a there's a efficiency with scale, um, which makes sense. Why you know there there aren't like a hundred. Uh, well, there's the reason reason they're not consolidated is because again, it, it, it would be best from an efficiency standpoint. From like you just said, scale by combining Bank of America with City, with uh, it, it, from a, from a retail perspective, let's combine them all. Like why not? Like the, there's no reason to, to to compete on that. The reason they don't is because of monopoly issues. But we end up with a we end up with the oligopoly who are able to to have access to central bank reserves, and you and I don't. So they actually have that privilege. So I, I'm not looking to to continue the status quo. I, I don't think it was right for uh, certain institutions to be bailed out in 2008, um, and the, their their executive team to not be punished for, for things that they could have done. And I'm not saying at all blockchain will have solved that. I've, I've gone on the record many, many times saying blockchains um, as a whole would not have stopped the financial crisis. There are ways to help out infrastructure in the back though. And that's what I'm trying to solve. I'm not trying to solve all these other, or the companies I work for aren't trying to solve these uh, gigantic issues that are, are beyond our control. I mean, again, like, uh, so here's something I get a lot when I talk to people in, in the crypto blockchain, whatever space, often you hear like there are serious problems with some incumbent legacy, uh, you know, status quo system. And I agree, there's always problems. There's problems in politics, problems in voting, problems in, in supply chain, problems in, in banking. That's all fine. I'm still com completely confused how a system built by uh, clearly some kind of cypherpunk anarchist to undermine the government's ability to stop transactions is now going to help banks in some meaningful way or pretty much any way um, that's, that's, that, that, that fits under a regulated framework. Like this is what I'm trying to understand. How does a well-regulated blockchain help anyone if the point of blockchain from the beginning, you know, at, at least Bitcoin, right, is to not be encumbered by regulations, to be able to skirt and circumnavigate these regulations? Because that's the maximalist view. Maximalists think that the only purpose of a blockchain is to do peer-to-peer -peer cash between participants that don't each other. That's that was what Satoshi wanted to do, but he has no monopoly of thought on this. Like just because he created the first airplane or the, the Wright brothers created the first airplane, we don't make two uh, bi-wing airplanes made of wood. Like we've evolved from that. Um, and the same thing is uh, from vehicles. We don't use a uh, half horsepower engine from you know uh, southern Germany like Carl Benz did with his wife in 1886. Like we've moved on. We have, <laughs> we have different forms, different types of uh, vehicles. So uh, why 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 do we have to? Why is the only type of blockchain the thing that that, that was created in 2009 i think that's 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 not that's incorrect no no so i, I again I'm, ag I'm agreeing with you like you can have different use cases what i'm asking is give me another use case because when i look at the crypto space right now all i see are gamblers speculators unregulated exchanges unregulated securities uh things that the government in almost every country would say illegal ponzi schemes fraud scams uh, undermining um, sanctions, undermining uh, 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 transfer of drugs. Now, in some cases, you can argue that undermining governments has some ethical benefits. It has some utility benefits for the society as a whole. But I'm trying to get a sense of, like, where is the legitimacy outside of that? Like, wh 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 where else is it? Because um, 
again, like if when, when, you know, my listeners are people that are thinking to themselves, should I invest? Should I do more research? Should I get involved in the blockchain space, in the crypto space? What is there? What substance is there? And, you know, talking to you, like you've been in this space for a long time. You, you work on many different things. I'm trying to get a sense, like other than that speculative like aspect, where, where, where is the actual, you know, utility there, the, 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 the solution. So like, 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 let, let, let's pretend the maximalists are wrong. Why are they wrong? Um, again, the, the problems that Clearmatics has been trying to solve, and uh, again, we'll have some updates hopefully in a couple of months, um, have been in specific areas of finance. We're not trying to solve problems for cypherpunks. We're not trying to solve problems for the DeFi world's trying to solve. We're not trying to solve problems that, um, you know, I've been, if, if, if people do any kind of background check on me, I've been extremely critical of everything. I've, I'm in, again, violent agreement with, with most of what you've said. Uh, and I'm not trying to sit here and legitimize something that, uh, that's not my, my goal to whitewash anything. I, I, again, <laughs> the purpose of, of what the original utility summit coin was the, 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 uh, finality of uh, the central bank digital currency project is uh, is around. We have use cases that can't exist, uh, or no one wants to have a single participant use on a single you know database. Is there a way that we could provide a, uh, some new products uh, in in in, in a, an infrastructure that we share that we have um, the ability to uh, see, but not necessarily directly influence? And there's been many attempts at creating shared ledger projects. Be, you know, we've we've just talked about uh, you know uh, a couple of them. And the ultimate the problem though is comes down to the business case. And again, I'm not trying to sit here and flog business cases to the general public because almost all the products that, that financial institutions are working with on, on these are things in the either the back office or you know post trade. It's uh you know may, maybe at some point they could build uh, robust uh, retail related products. Uh, for I don't know derivatives or some kind of options stuff like that, but that's not that's not the purpose of or, or the goal of what Clearmatics is trying to do. So again, I mean, and I and I hate to be kind of repetitive here. Like, what is the uh, like w- like like there, you know it's it's been a few years that you've worked at Clearmatics. It was founded in 2015. So just give me an example of uh, a real world use case where blockchain solved something that wasn't again the cypherpunk Bitcoin maximalist whatever. It's totally different. It 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 shows the the working nature of blockchain outside of just you know uh, unregulated securities. That's a very pointed question. So the short answer is, you know, there's only so much a company of 20, 30, 40 people can do. So I, I, I hope I don't let down the the, uh, the the listeners too much. But in order to build out anything that solves for use cases, you have to have cash on ledger. Otherwise, you're just sending IOUs back and forth from commercial banks. So the getting a CBDC is an end of itself. It shouldn't be an end, but it is an end and it still hasn't achieved that. So it could take, I don't know, five more years. So from the finality perspective, the whole idea was you have, I don't know, dozens of use cases from each banks. They uh, decided they want to do a couple of them, but in order to do any of the uses, whether it's a, a type of loan product, lending product, or uh derivatives related product, trading products, like they, they're products that would be of no interest to, to, to you or me or your listeners because it's not something that that's that, that's just not our world. So the the things that they need to solve for are they have completely different um, wants and needs because that's what institutions have. So and, I, I don't and know. That's fair, like, Tim. Like that's totally fair. Well, I guess like so from my perspective, you know, my listener is hearing a lot of hype, hearing the word blockchain, crypto, every number, all the numbers are going up, a lot of investment, a lot of speculation, a lot of excitement, right? And I'm trying to discuss like legit like like really like uh, peel away the layers and try to figure out is there something there is there some excitement now what you're describing to me um it doesn't look like this merits almost any excitement it's not no, that's, that's, like, you don't see me jazzing anything like that you have you have the wrong person if you think you're looking for a cheerleader i'm not the cheerleader i, I don't go out and oh and that's that. fair no no 100 so if, if, if what you want to say for example is that the use case outside of the cypherpunk narrative which is you know quite questionable. You and I agree with that, right? Proof of work is pretty inefficient. Cypherpunk narrative has a lot of issues there. You know, Bitcoin has money. That's that's very problematic in many ways. Um, but what I'm essentially getting from you is that the use case outside of that is like pretty limited and pretty, uh, let's just say, like, I guess up in the air, still not decided. If CBDCs, like if central bank digital currencies are that end game and it's not achieved yet, and that's like what would make uh, you know, you know, blockchain outside of, of this narrow use case viable. 
um, to me, that would just say like, you know, there's almost nothing here, which is okay, right? You don't, you don't have a coin. You're not, you're not shilling anything. I completely respect that. Um, and that's why I have you on because like, you know, you're, you're, you're on the ground, you're doing this, this work. So I'm just trying to get like grounded here. Um, if someone's doing computer science right now, would they, should they go and, and work in blockchain? Um, if they, if they're not interested in the cypherpunk culture. Yeah. And again, I, I want to be clear. So I guess I'm in the weird camp. Um, on the one hand, I'm very skeptical for all the reasons that you and your, your guests have said uh, about uh, virtually any of these, uh, I guess you could say permissionless uses, but I'm not anti-coin or anti-public chain whatsoever. Uh, if, 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 if Satoshi was allowed to, to launch his own chain or anyone else, so why, why can't we as a hobbyist or, or, or uh, uh, as a company or as a nonprofit or your, your show, like I, I'm, 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 I'm not going to say don't, get involved uh, from a from a hobbying point of view or even professional point of view. I would just say, assume that virtually everything that somebody tells you that says there's upsides or benefits or, you know, there's you're helping people in developing countries is probably BS. Like there's that, that term, what that what's presented with that evidence can be dismissed with that evidence. So, um, totally. you know, I, I'm, I'm not here at all to be a hype hype person or cheerleader. So I'm, I'm, again, I'm trying to find where the there is on, on all these different protocols. Uh, so Solana, uh, they've, you know, I could, I could explain what I found, some of my findings there, but I'm not here as a representative of the Solana Foundation or well, not, not at all. And, 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 you know, I would love to get your input because again, you're kind of head of intelligence. So your job is to learn about these things. You're not shilling. You're not, you don't work for Solana. You're just trying to understand what's going on over there. So, so, so tell me like, you know, in your, in your kind of observing of these sort of cypherpunk type things, these you know these distributed uh, blockchains and all that. Like, what 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 is happening on Solana that isn't just people gambling, losing all their money, building unregulated securities, um, you know, pump and dump schemes? Like, what what's going on with Solana that's like interesting? Um, and again, this isn't your project, so that none of this is on you. Obviously, you're you're kind of investigating it, like I'm investigating it. So I'm I'm just really curious, like what 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 is there? Sure. Yeah. So that's uh, you kind of. There's plenty of uh, scammy NFT, you know, fly by night projects, just like you have on Ethereum or BSC or any of these other uh, well-known L1, you know, uh, layer one chains. Um, I guess from a technical level, there's two things that are that are kind of interesting to me. And again, this is not necessarily saying Solana is everyone should go migrate there or use it. Is they they created a CLOB, uh, a central limit order book. So one of the and again, from a trading perspective. Um, it's highly inefficient to use something like an AMM from a capital perspective. So if your audience isn't familiar with it, an AMM is an automated, automated market maker. You know, you probably could articulate, you know, the ins and outs of that much better than I, because you have your experience with maker and then looking at, you know, things that, you know, obviously maker is not an AMM, but my point is, is you, you've seen um, the growth of, of DEXs. And, and the unique thing about um, Solana uh, is they founded uh, or they, they uh, funded a project called Serum which created a decentralized uh, central limit order book, which uh, to my knowledge has not successfully been done at, at, at a scale in which you could have you know, more than a few users or more few transactions at a time. You've, you've had attempts even as far back as uh, 2014 with Omni, um, or which was called MasterCoin then, now it's called Omni. You had ColorCoin projects that try to create uh, these decentralized exchanges. Um, and those didn't work out for a variety of reasons, including you know, liquidity uh, issues. Uh, it, the AMMs have kind of stepped in the last few years. But uh, they're they're capital inefficient because you tie up your capital um, at, at certain uh, uh, price points um, that are not that, not useful for for traders or, or active um, basically any of the active trading uh, entities or market makers. Um, so you, you, for example, Uniswap version three um, touts itself as being the most capital efficient AMM right now. I'm not going to say whether that's true or not. But with a club, you actually have the ability to, um, as the name suggests, uh, have fine tuned. Uh, parameters on which quantities and what you're going to sell at um, against a specific uh, trading pair. And they did it at a scale in which you could trade on chain um, in, in less than a second. So again, I'm not endorsing them. I'm just saying from a from a trading perspective, if you're trying to, like, again, if you're looking at financial institutions, like we've we've spent the last you know, five, six years on, like one of the hangups has been, okay, so let's say we get a central bank digital currency. Let's just say that magically happens. And again, there's many different models from many different central banks and, and, and they're about some consulting, consultancies and so forth. But let's just say some wholesale one existed in which these 15 entities working with Finality or Dozen or whatever it was, were able to use some kind of blockchain network and they have central bank digital currency that, that actually is legitimately you know, settled. Uh, so 
if you're having to still go off chain for the trading and execution of the trades, you kind of defeat the purpose of having a blockchain, right? It goes back to the very good criticisms that you brought up, the central points of single points of failure. Like if you're having to depend on a vendor or these these entities off chain, then you're you're really there's really no point of a blockchain, right? So what if you could execute those trades? Um, Again, very quickly, in less than a second, and do it with these, you know, fifteen different counterparties. So again, I, I think a better guest to have on this specific point would be anyone working with central bank digital currency. So the Finality guys, uh, Soramitsu, they built uh, an actual project that's live with the, the, the Central Bank of Cambodia, um, and they could tell you, hey, what the goods and bads are, what, what at least their, their aspirations. From my perspective, without having an on-chain ability to not only settle an asset but to trade it. Um, you lose a lot of utility because you're having to go off chain through some other uh, other intermediary. So they only they, they not only allow you to trade or they've created a way to trade, but they do it in a non-custodial manner. And this is kind of interesting from a security standpoint, from what I mean by like a, a theft standpoint, because right now uh, pre well, pre-today, um, especially pre-2017, and you've probably witnessed this, so you probably have some good stories here, is um, and, and definitely Nicholas Weaver does. Um, you you about half of all uh, centralized exchanges, coin, cryptocurrency exchanges, had been um, exploited or, or hacked in, in some manner. Um, sometimes they were, you know, disclosed to their 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 participants, uh, their, their their traders, their users, and others hadn't. And you know, we could talk about uh, funny things up uh, with Quadriga. You could have uh, Amy Castor on to, to talk about that entire saga up there. But um, with a decentralized exchange, one of the one of at least the features that's touted, and again, I'm not here to show you, um, at least the listeners, I'm not trying to say, hey, become your own bank, but the idea of self-custody is you are in control of that private key and you uh, alone um, are the attack surface in theory. In practice, there's other attack surfaces. You could go after the web extension like MetaMask. You could go after the hardware wallet by doing some kind of supply chain attack on a company called like Ledger. Um, so you have other ways of intermediating or, or attacking that. But from an exchange standpoint, uh, the exchange could no longer steal your funds because it's uh, it's fully being controlled by you, the private key holder. You're not you're not you're not sending or putting them, um, uh, making them the custodian of it. So you have a one-two punch with Serum. Again, I'm not endorsing Serum or Solana. I'm just saying from you're asking me, hey, what's what's interesting and to me? Having sub-second trades in which custody remains in the control of the trader um, is is interesting for a variety of actors, including the the types of uh, participants we've partners we've worked with over the years, and hopefully in the future we have a non-institutional users uh, for for some some apps in the future yeah so I mean I I see what you're saying look I followed uniswap I understand these these protocols and some of them are, are very interesting the, the 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 thing that I'm observing is that really what they're offering people is the ability to to like skirt regulations essentially right I mean like you can do a lot of very quick trades and you know you have all sorts of tools that exist in the legacy finance system um you know what what's happening with you know uniswap is that you can buy you know, like just illegal tokens to like unregulated securities. Again, uh, um, if if what you're observing from Solana is 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 just you know faster, uh, more efficient, uh, more liquid trading. Um, really, what what I'm hearing is is just you know it's gambling on steroids. Like and and so I'm. Um, and again, you know, you're you're not here saying that the blockchain space is this amazing space that has like a billion solutions. Um, um, I, I guess the the the, the where I'll resolve this, where I wanted to like ask you kind of maybe a final question here is, um, you know, is, is, is it a failure of blockchain that this is where we are? Like, this is the utility that we've come to, which is that we're just trading faster and more and higher volume. You know, yesterday, like Vitalik, um, who, you know, I'm, 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 I'm sure people have different views of, of, of him. I still consider him in many ways, like not a particularly like brilliant guy. I think that in a lot of ways he's made, you know, huge, just huge and terrible mistakes. He's tweeting, you know, yesterday that we need to move NFTs onto the layer two ecosystem to cut fees. Like this is what this guy is focusing on with Ethereum like 2.0 and with like the future of, of whatever. And NFTs are just, a, just another way to speculate on, on garbage and, you know, act in many cases a cover uh, as a trade-based money laundering, as Amy Castor would put it. She wrote a great piece on NFTs. Um, this to me seems like a huge red flag that like when someone like Vitalik is, is, is just, you know, focusing on, you know, like really like we're, we're, we're moving digital beanie babies on layer two. Like this is, this is the tech that, that we're excited about. Um, obviously you're not a part of that. You're not like, you know, uh, doing those things, but, um, you know, I have you here to kind of just give some, 
some some grounded insight in terms of what's actually you know happening um and it doesn't seem like there's a lot the surprising thing to me is the self-preservation instincts for self-preservation by a group of uh, you know a few hundred, maybe a few thousand people who've uh, become insanely rich, relatively speaking, in a short period of time without actually having provided a whole lot of socially useful uh, bits of innovation. Now, I, I, I will fully disclose, I'm actually friends, I'd like to consider Vitalik a friend, not, not because I own any ether, I don't, but because uh, he helped contribute to a bit of research I did a number of years ago, and he's still uh, in contact with me on, on things that we find are interesting. We have some common commonality. So, there's several large banks in Australia that were doing business in California at the time with Wells Fargo. Like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna track cotton, um, you know, do a cotton supply chain or something like that, and use a blockchain for that. I'm not endorsing that as, as a use case, but it actually would have been a lot easier from a technical standpoint to just have it represented with NFTs or some kind of other thing. If you're going to use a blockchain, I'm not even saying you need to use a blockchain. I'm just saying like. It's hard for me to be 100% dismissive of everything um, because I feel that that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Again, I'm not a one-chain maximalist. Uh, I think internally, even though you know, Robert and I met uh, met each other in the Ethereum Skype room years ago with, in fact, uh, you know, Vitalik was was part of that uh, initial conversations. Um, we we aren't, you know, we're it, 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 the, it, the, the worst thing you could say about us is we're plural, pluralists, uh, we're multi-chainists or something like that. Like <laughs> certainly not maximalists of any stripe. Uh, that, that, that I've noticed. Um, and again, we're not here to, to, to try and sell technology on, on a podcast or, or ideas. I mean, maybe at some point we, we, we have some, some interesting apps, but that's not the purpose of, of, of my life is to, I'm not somebody's uh, bag man. So, so I get that. I mean, you, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, th- this kind of reminds me about almost like the religion debate where every time you talk to someone who's from a particular religious perspective and you ask them about all the other religions, they're kind of like, oh yeah, I agree with you. All the other religions are silly, but not my religion. And so a part of what I'm, what I'm doing right now and what, what I'm trying to gather is I'm trying to get someone um, to, uh, to, you know, give me what, what makes sense. And all, all I get for the most part is people admitting that nothing is making sense and that those other things they don't support and that those things don't make sense and that those things are just scams and money laundering and, and blah, 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 blah. Um, it's, it's very hard to pin down any use case. I mean, even just talking to you for like, uh, you know, just over an hour here, um, so far what I get is that maybe blockchains are useful if we have central bank digital currencies at that point things will change and there could be some use case there but that's five years away it's been talked about for five years it's still not not there um i'm curious for example r3 which i don't don't know like how like do they still have money are they still running as a company um you know if they are i i would love to know like one example of just something that they did that was productive and like made money and actually solved the problem because if i could that would be so clear to me. I could say, hey, listeners, you know, if you're here to, to learn about what blockchain is, at least you have like R3, like don't invest in NFTs, but like R3 has this one you know, product and it's useful. And you know what? I'm, I'm just so skeptical. Like R3 just sounds like to me, they're, they're just riding the hype wave of blockchain to get some investment money. It's, it's unclear to me where there's grounding and where it's not just, again, like, like, I don't know, a database, a Git repo. You know, so so I guess we'll leave it at that. Like, do you have anything else you wanted to say other than uh, the the central bank digital currencies in terms of you know use cases where uh, blockchains were used in, in sort of a meaningful way? Um, otherwise, uh, you know, I'll definitely have those other guests on, and and maybe they can defend uh, positions that you wouldn't feel comfortable defending. Um, because obviously, you know, I'm I'm not here sitting and saying that you have an ICO to shill, um, uh, which you clearly don't. Yeah. So just to couple closing comments on that. So I think the term that you're, you're describing is something called coin nihilism, which is, uh, I think the example I used, I just sent you the link to it from three and a half years ago was Alice and Carol don't care about the utility of a coin or how it works. They just want to speculate on number goes up. So, and Bob thinks that only his special coin is ideologically pure and that's what matters. So you have a, uh, you know, the, every, every coin is bad except for my coin, right? So the one, the one coiner position, um, I, uh, <laughs> I certainly uh, wouldn't call it, describe myself ever as a one coiner. Um, and I think that there is quite a bit of coin nihilism, um, especially on the investment front. On the R3 front, I would say, you know, it'd be good to have a show at some stage with former R3 people just so that way um, people could know kind of what went, went on. Um, again, in 2015, the aspirations in August when it launched, 
specifically were involving banks, no other intermediaries. Specifically, there was no CSD, there's no CCP. And again, for the people on the on the on the on the, the call, if you're not familiar with these, these, these are institutions in the background that provide very useful utility for society. You just don't see it because of the uh, the the boringness of it all. But uh, the, the, the idea in 2015 was to build infrastructure that um, did not rely on those specific intermediaries um, and thereby cutting out that systemic risk. So the you know, six years later, um, actually, yeah, it's basically six years since the, the consortium was announced. Um, it's very, very different. I left uh, for a variety of reasons, including the fact that I think that the, the original mission that, that they were not on, um, on, on page with, the fact they brought on a number of intermediaries uh, later on um, that were the very ones that they voted to, to not <laughs> to bring in at the beginning. So, so it just devolves to what it was before, right? I mean, th this well, is where the skepticism is, right? Like, is there something there? And again, you know, you work there, you left, you have good reasons to leave. So again, you're not shilling R3. You're not telling people to buy R3 stock, obviously. Um, I'm just trying to get a sense, like, like what? you know, what's going on there? So again, the business model for R3 was very different from any of these other guys initially. And so like, I, I remember seeing, I, I'd, I'd log into Twitter and you'd have all these like Bitcoiners or, you know, Ethereum maximalists at this point, uh, back back then, uh, yelling, why don't you just you know, build something on you know, Bitcoin or build something on Ether? And, and I'd keep on saying this very same things. Why would we build on these systems that were not fit for purpose? Like, why don't we build something that was fit for purpose? Um, and you could modify them and maybe make them better fit for purpose, but that wasn't the goal. And, and, and more to the point, like there was no... Uh, the only participants uh, in R3 in terms of financing were, were banks. Like you couldn't invest in it. We weren't seeking investment from outsiders. So like it wasn't like I never really thought that that was um, an intellectually honest um, criticism of the organization. Now, again, it's ironically, I would say that uh, when I left uh, a week after I left uh, a lawsuit between R3 and Ripple surfaced, which was really funny because of timing. But we have a whole conversation about that. And a year later, it was settled and they never disclosed the terms of the settlement. However, when the SEC sued Ripple in December, one of the footnotes discloses the fact that a a uh, blockchain organization in New York uh, you know, exercised some options for like a billion XRP. Um, and remember, the terms of that lawsuit or terms of the of the the options agreement in which R three and Ripple sued each other over was. Um, being able to buy up to 5 million XRP for 0 0.0085 cents. So it's less than one cent per XRP. And this was in mid 2016. Um, obviously, you know, today, I think the, the coin price shot up, has, has shot up quite a bit, but you know, back in 2016, the coin price had been nothing. And, and the only reason Ripple was part of that um, uh, was involved with R3 is because it would have been a number of banks that had done unilateral tests with Ripple. And they were trying to find, hey, where, where is that? Where's the meat? Where's the utility? Because Ripple was always marketing saying, hey, we, uh, uh, we can provide faster, quicker, cheaper, you know, cross-border payments or remittances, whatever, you know, that, that pitch from that era was. Um, but they never did a large uh, multilateral you know, experiment, as it were. And so R3 was brought in to pro basically project manage that. And about, uh, I'd have to look at it, the, you know, talk to my uh, former colleague of mine to find out how many participants. I think it was like 12 or 15 banks participated in that. And I don't, I don't recall the actual findings, but the, the key part of the engagement was, uh, as part of this, you know, project management, R3 had the right to to buy up for up to two years to that uh, afterwards some really cheap, cheap, cheap XRP. And so there was ended up a lawsuit. Um, and according to the SEC's uh, lawsuit with the Ripple, separate from the R3 Ripple lawsuit, um, it looks like uh, R3 was able to get about a billion XRP. So I'm, I'm saying all this to answer part of your questions about the revenue. You know, they sold that um, throughout uh, last year, apparently, um, or 2019, 2020. And uh, you know, handsomely, handsomely, uh, you know, bringing that back to the team. Sorry. So I, I R three sold a bunch of XRP. Yes. Okay. So I mean, so so look, XRP as a token. I mean, I don't know what what the hell that is, but that is that, to me that just looks again. It just looks like you know. Uh, you know, it's funny how the way that Ripple talks about it as though it just magically like landed in their laps and it's like from it's a divine intervention. They just have this token and it's it's, you know, separate from the Ripple thing and it's not a security. I mean, th this is kind of like it, it, it's silly. It's insane. Like people are, are, are pouring money into XRP, which is why someone like R3 can then, you know, sell onto, you know, uh, essentially bag holders. Um, like like what is the point of XRP token? I mean, like, like you know, it, it, to, to me, it just seems like a security. People are literally buying XRP token because they think they're investing in interbank transfers to make the world more efficient. Is that what's happening with XRP token? 
again, I left before any of that happened. Um, I, I'm trying to answer your question about how they make money. You know, they, um, this is part of the, um, I, I don't think that intermediating yourself as, as they did with the Corda enterprise license. So remember Corda itself is open source. It's not an actual blockchain. It's a, it's a distributed ledger, which is kind of, uh, I know people, we can argue, you asked at the very beginning of the episode, you said, Tim, what's a blockchain? Well, hey, what's a distributed ledger? Let's put all the, the nuances aside for the moment. Um, Corda is something that they built uh, as, as a company and they open source p- part of it, but the enterprise uh, element um, is licensed um, and they charge, they've gone through several models on that, um, like a per core, you know, like a, a IBM model. And uh, anyways, putting all that aside, um, they've, to my knowledge, never fully disclosed uh, what the revenue is. And that's fine. They're a private company, but uh, we do know that they've made some money off of XRP, just complete you know, that wasn't part of the business plan in 2015 is to <laughs> get into lawsuits with coin companies. But it wouldn't be the first time. Actually, if you're looking for uh, someone who predates that, it would be uh, chain.com in San Francisco. They ended up getting acquired or merging with, uh, I believe it was Stellar. And part of the uh, part of the acquisition when Stellar acquired them is they basically um, gave uh, existing investors XLM or Lumens um, to basically make them whole on their original investment. Un- unregulated securities to dump on back holders, right? I mean, this is the problem. Like, I'm, And this is, by the way, in no way am I pointing this at you because you were not responsible for any of these things. And it looks like you left well before this even took place. Uh, I'm just pointing out that this just seems like a huge red flag. And I'm seeing like red flags left and right. Um, I'm guessing you see that you, you, you feel a similar way where you're seeing a lot of red flags. And I get why you are sort of holding out and trying to find that utility and working with companies to like trying to, you know, filter out the bullshit from, from the real. But I, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to wrap it up and just say that I'm still really skeptical, um, and uh, and I'm and I'm just trying to understand, and and uh, you know, we'll definitely get more people on the podcast to to defend different different aspects. Um, it, what would you like to share with the audience, like uh, your Twitter handle, uh, where people can find out more about you? Um, what is it that you you want people to to look into to get a sense of uh, of your perspective? Sure. Yeah, my Twitter again is at of numbers. Uh, the website I used to publish, uh, I'm still up and still occasionally publish just as ofnumbers.com. You can find basically all my content. I used to have a, a private newsletter that had substantially more information. Maybe one day I'll publish it. I, I think that the, it's a bit long. One of them was like 500 pages long. That's like a, it's a whole book length, right? But I just want to be clear that I'm neither pro or anti-coin. I, I certainly don't begrudge anyone who actually thinks that they can make a bigger, better chain and wants to create some incentives for that. But at the same time, as you said, you know, the way these things uh, get exploited or abused is, is, is just, uh, it's, it's exhausting because it's trying to chronic all at all. It's just impossible to chronic at all. So imagine being... <laughs> Imagine trying to be a regulator, trying to get it all. Who to, who to go after? Uh, you know, are there some actually decent actors? I think there's some okay actors. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tim, so much for joining us, and uh, we'll have you again uh, uh, later on to discuss sort of your findings and to see if the CD, uh, CBDCs uh, work out. But yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, everyone, that was Tim Swanson. Were you convinced? Did you hear some good use cases for blockchain technology? Uh, Are you excited about distributed ledgers? Do you think XRP is a buy? I don't think so, and I'm pretty unconvinced. But again, as always, I will let you, the listener, decide. Please DM me on Twitter if you want to debate me or discuss something. I'm really looking forward in the future to invite more people on the space to defend various parts of the cryptocurrency industry. And I think that my listeners could do a big part by talking about this podcast and encouraging people who have really strong views to come on because really anyone who wants to come on is welcome and free to debate their point. Uh, I'm going to try to be as fair as possible and um, you know really let them speak their mind and sort of confront what they're saying and what they're selling with, uh, I guess, some hard questions. Um, As always, follow me on Twitter. That is at Milner, M-I-L-N-E-R underscore Aviv. That's A-V-I-V. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, On Twitter, I will not be doing a lot of tweeting, only talking about the podcast, but always DM me if you want to participate in any way. Uh, Thank you again for joining me.